You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, let me tell you something. If God ever opened our eyes to see this battle that's going on around us for your soul, it would blow your mind. The forces of God, the forces of evil, the demons of Satan, and the angels of God. This fight is all about your soul. The spiritual realm is a real and powerful place. The enemy of Jesus, Satan, wants your soul. He's waging a war you can't see, but you can probably feel it. He uses deceit and temptation to pull you away from truth, from Jesus. Pastor Mike reminds you today that this realm includes good, too, and that good is also drawing you to God. Angels of Christ are fighting for your heart, reminding you of the perfect gift that Jesus has given you. Don't let the enemy gain ground in your life. Let the fight for good win. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 5 for his message, Overcomers. Once again, we're back in our series in 1 John in chapter 5, and we've now moved into the last section of this epistle of John's, so 1 John chapter 5, and the text that we're going to be treating this evening is found in verses 4 and 5, and the title of this message is Overcomers. But listen, this is the first in a series of messages on this one text of Scripture. So we're going to be talking about the subject of being an overcomer, 1 John chapter 5, Verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. There's that word, overcomes. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So the idea here is that we're an overcomer through our faith in Christ. But we'll be addressing that subject, being an overcomer through our faith in Jesus Christ, the next two messages. And I want you to think about this. We overcome by our faith in Jesus Christ passively, as well as aggressively. But you got to come back to find out what I meant by that statement that I just made. Then in verse 5, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, let me draw this to your attention. It is obvious from this word for, go back to verse 4. Notice it begins with the word for at the beginning of verse 4 that John, obviously, is continuing something 
that he is already uh, mentioned. It's sort of like he's drawing a conclusion. Now, what was that? Well, particularly for those of you who weren't here last time, in verse 3, so there's a connection between verses 3 and verses 4 and 5, John had already stated to the Christian, the commandments of God are not grievous or burdensome. So verses 4 and 5 that serve as our text this evening are linked together to that subject. What is that subject? Well, to the Christian, the commandments of God are not grievous, are not burdensome. Now, the reason why God's commandments are not grievous, we are told, and there in verses 4 and 5, let's read it again. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And that's exactly why the commandments of God are not grievous. But notice here, right there in the middle of our text, we are told, and this brings us to our first point this evening, if you're taking notes, write this down, our greatest obstacle. That's our first point. Our greatest obstacle. You see, the main deterrent of keeping God's commandments is the world. You see, the thing that at times can make us feel like, in fact, his commandments are grievous, are burdensome, is the world. Now, we've dealt with this subject before. This is not the first time that we're introduced to the subject by John here in his epistle. It seems like he continues to come back to the same subject. But this is, but this is just the way that John wrote his epistle. And by the way, it's also the way that he wrote the Gospel of John. He had a certain flair, and there was a certain personality to John's writings, both in the, Gospels, the Gospel of John as well as the epistles of John. And the reason why he continues to come back to these certain issues was because, obviously, they were very important to God, but also important to John. Now, notice in chapter 2, just to, uh, to serve as a reminder... In chapter 2, he addresses this subject in verses 15 through 17. And there we read, Do not love the world or the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So this is probably the fullest description of what God means when he refers to the world. Gang, we can't read the New Testament truly without seeing the whole of the Christian life as a life in conflict. We are in an atmosphere, and, I, and listen, I mean, if, if you're really serious about your Christian experience and following through with the commitment that you made to Christ, I'm not telling you something that you don't already know, that you haven't already experienced. We are in an atmosphere and in a world where there is a great fight going on. And that fight is all about your souls. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of Satan. There's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of life and there's the kingdom of death. And the scripture is full of these constant comparisons and contrasts. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 12, probably one of the more familiar ones to you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, let me tell you something. If God ever opened our eyes to see this battle that's going on around us for your soul, it would blow your mind. The forces of God, the forces of evil, the demons of Satan, and the angels of God. This fight is all about your soul and to possess your soul. So the world says, John, is there the whole time, and the Christian is fighting against it. You can't get around it because we live in this present world. Now, with that in mind, I believe it is important that we dig a little bit deeper to discover, to discover a more definitive def definition of this world that we're up against. And that brings us to our second point this evening, and that is, it is good to know your enemy. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. And, and by the way, I know I always mention this, and you're probably sick of me saying this, but on the back side of your bulletin, there's a place uh, for your taking notes. And I really do encourage you to take notes because it's so important. And, uh, and then sometime during the week, you know, just take out your bulletin, look over the notes, because God has a way of embellishing the message, you know, adding to it, drawing your attention to something that I might have passed over, right? He, he has a knack and a wonderful uh, capacity to be able to do that. So therein lies the value of taking notes. So we strongly encourage you to do exactly that. So our second point, it is good to know your enemy. Now let me give you a working definition of this world again. The world is everything that is opposed to God and his spirit. Let me say that again. The world is everything that is opposed to God and his spirit. So that's all encompassing, right? You see, God calls upon men and women to worship him, to glorify him. In fact, that's the reason why we were created, to know him, to fellowship with him, to have communion with him, to worship him. This is the chief object for which God has created us. And we are called upon to do this in every conceivable way possible. For example, in our own personal life, in the church, and that's what just took place here as we worshiped him. That is, if your focus was upon Jesus, right? And your minds weren't wandering, and I, I, we confess that at times they do. We just kind of put our brains in neutral and then just sing the songs and just go through the motions. But worship is all about, you know, expressing our love for God and for who he is and what he's done in our lives. It's, it's the way that we express our gratitude towards him through worship, right? Uh, so we are to do this in every way conceivable, in our personal life, in our church life, at work. You say, how do we worship God at work? By putting an honest day work in for an honest day's wage, you know, to honor him, not to do things underhandedly to be above board in all of our business dealings. But then also in play, you know, in the things that we enjoy, we can honor the Lord as well, right? Uh, by being very careful and selective in the ways that we go about playing. Like, for example, going to the movies or watching TV or the things that we read or the things that we, you know, see or the places that we attend. Some we're to worship God in, in that respect as well. And then also, we are to worship God in the way that we relate to one another. 
We need to be careful the way that we speak to one another, the way that we treat one another, as we honor one another. But the world, and here's the problem, is doing and providing everything to prevent us from doing exactly that. Now, how does it go about doing that? Well, all of its attractions pulling at us, its temptations, all the things that the world holds out before us, making its appeals to us in a very calculated way, seeking to draw us away from God. And and he goes about that in a variety of different ways. It it, it could be, as I've just mentioned, uh, there would be an absence of those things that I just suggested. But then, you know, uh, he might just flat out seek to persecute us in one form or another. People may be laughing at us because of our Christianity, maybe at your place of, of employment. He might ridicule you or choose to ridicule you to make you feel foolish. But then also, and God keep us from this, you know, the persecution can come in the form of some kind of, pers- uh, some kind of physical uh, persecution. We're, we're so privileged here in the United States of America. I think of our brothers and sisters in other lands where they are physically persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, all of the things that I've just mentioned is the world. Remember, we're trying to define for you in a more definitive way, you know, what that world is, what that world looks like. Now, all of what I've just said would fall into that category of the world uh, outside us, the world outside us. But then there is what I would refer to as the world inside us, as well. And I have to fight this fight on both fronts. For example, in the book of Romans in chapter 8, verse 7, I'll explain what I mean by the world in us. But here's a cross-reference for you. Maybe this will help you to understand where I'm going with this. In the book of Romans in chapter 8, verse 7, the Bible tells us that the carnal mind is at enmity or is against God, for it is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can it be. So what are we talking about here? The carnal mind. Paul draws our attention to our carnal mind. Well, think about this. The carnal mind is something that is inside me. And what does that look like? Well, it manifests itself in certain ways. First of all, there is self and everything that is covered by that one little word self. Like, for example, and these are all, this is the world inside of us. How about pride? Think about that. Here's an example of that. The world inside me that I'm fighting against. Pride. And I don't know if there is anything more opposed to glorifying God than this. And it doesn't matter what you are proud of. It might be your physical appearance, your mental ability or capacities, your position in life, the success that you have enjoyed. All of these things, if allowed to, can become antagonistic to God and can make it quite difficult for you to glorify God. And pride may take on various forms. For example, a desire for praise, a dislike of criticism, self-reliance, that kind of an attitude. Hey, I'm master of my own fate. I'm captain of my own destiny. So think about this. I mean, the more you rely upon yourself, 
the less you will rely upon God. The less you trust God, the less you will glorify him and live for him. And so pride, that's part of that world inside of us. But there's more. How about ambition? Think about that. What is ambition? Well, ambition is a desire to get on to succeed in an unworthy manner. You know, uh, my ambition, you know, causes me to do something like, for example, using that work example that I mentioned just a moment ago. You know, I'm going to climb over other people to get to the top, and I don't care how I do it. I don't care if I offend someone or hurt someone or say something unkind about someone or lie about someone because it's all about me. It's all about self, my ambition. How about selfishness, being anxious to have things for myself and for my own and not for somebody else? Uh, There's self-centeredness. There's jealousy. There's envy. There's coveting. You know, Examine yourself in light of this passage. Here's a cross-reference for you. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, this is a good list to examine yourself against. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, all of these things are the world within us. And when they are in control and inactive, I'm not glorifying God. But it's not only that. I believe also one of the most terrible things the Christian has to fight is the flesh, as it manifests itself in the form of indolence, that is a love of ease or laziness, particularly in regards to spiritual exercises. And that usually manifests itself in the form of making excuses. I make excuses for not praying or reading the Bible. Or going to a midweek service. Well, none of you are guilty of that this evening, praise the Lord. But you know what? There are some people who have taken the name of Christ who have a thousand excuses why they don't do this, that, and the other thing as it relates to spiritual exercises. Laziness of the flesh is always fighting against glorifying God, standing between us and worshiping God. But then there's also the careless distribution of our time. Right? We don't make time. We don't set apart time to spend with the Lord, which is the most important thing that we could ever do with our time. Right? You know, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. But we got the tables turned. Right? We're so busy doing our own thing, and we think, man, I don't have time to come to a midweek service. I got all of these other responsibilities and obligations and things that I need to take care of, and And, you know, our priorities are out of order. We need to make sure that we're we're on the same pages as is God. And so the careless distribution of our time, it's all a part of the world within us. And so what do we have then? We have the world outside us. We have the world in us. It's the world that makes God's commandments grievous. 
Now, let's talk about, and this brings us to our third point this evening, the Christian's relationship to this world. And basically, let me say this. You know, our relationship to the world can actually be summed up in one verse of Scripture. And that verse of Scripture is recorded first in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6 and verse 17. And by the way, this is a quotation from the Old Testament. It's never changed for the people of God. Under the Old Dispensation and the New Dispensation, whether you are an Old Testament saint or a New Testament saint, these are the same requirements. What were they? Therefore, come out from among them. The world, come out from among the attitudes, the, the philosophies the, uh, of the people that live in this world, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and thus I will receive you. So the idea here is that we are not to be conformed to the world. Rather, we are supposed to be transformed. We are to be different. We are to live a different kind of a life. We are to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And those standards, by the way, are recorded for us by God in his Bible. We are to flee this world. We are to flee youthful lusts. We are, as someone had mentioned, uh, we are in the world, but we are not to be, what? Of the world. But there are some Christians who have chosen to live on the borders of this world. Now, who does that remind you of? Just think about our recent studies in the book of Genesis. Lot, who, we are told, pitched his tent towards Sodom, right? He chose to live on the borders of this world. And notice, once again in our text, we are to be overcomers of this world and not overcome by the world. In other words, we are to master it. Now, this verse could actually be translated, if you go back to the original Greek, this is the victory that has overcome, past tense. In other words, this is something that should have, for all of us as a Christian, already happened. But interestingly enough, John tells us here that a Christian is someone who has overcome and one who is overcoming at the same time. So I guess it's a part of a process. Choice comes into uh, play here for the believer. And Christians are, are men and women who are in this position of being overcomers because of their faith. Notice what we are told there in verse 4. They have come to see the real meaning of the world. They see it for what it really is, and they hate it. You have a new take on things, a new perspective, a new worldview. And that view is seeing things, seeing the world in which we live through God's eyes, through the Word of God. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 John. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can view his past teachings when you click on the Vimeo link or listen online. Just click on the Resources tab to find out more. 
Sometimes life can get busy, and between work, family, and all your other obligations, it's hard to find the time to dig deeply into the Bible for yourself. We want to encourage you to make time with the Lord a priority in your life. And we have some great resources linked at harvestnyc.org to help you do just that. We also invite you to join our mailing list for daily devotionals. You can sign up at harvestnyc.org. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. And be sure to give us a call if you have any questions. 212-247-1877. That's 212-247-1877. That brings us to the end of our study today. Join Pastor Mike next time to continue learning and growing in faith right here on In My Father's House. Oh